0: Is a presentation of Learfield IMG College. From the Georgia Southern Sports Network, powered by Learfield IMG College. Wake up, Eagle Nation! Touchdown, Georgia Southern! This is Inside Eagle Nation, your all-access look into Eagle Athletics.
1: Taking a look through all the other action in Georgia Southern Athletics this past week. A lot of road action. A lot of teams hitting the old I-16 out of
2: town. Getting on the steel horse and taking us to parts north, south, west, wherever. Can't really go too much farther east.
0: Now let's return to the Learfield IMT College studios. Here are your hosts, Colin Lacey and Danny Reed. That's a fact, Jack.
1: Another edition of Inside Eagle Nation, your official podcast for Georgia Southern Athletics. Colin Lacey alongside the voice of the Eagles, Danny Reed. A little bit different of a setup this week as we're coming to you from somewhere between Atlanta and New Orleans. Danny is down in Florida as we get set for Georgia Southern and La Tech down in the r and Carriers New Orleans Bowl. But first thing first, Danny, you've got a game tonight down at Alico Arena in Fort Myers.
2: Yeah, going to try for a 3-0 trip in Florida with two very different victories at the FIU multi-team event in Miami. The good thing is the bus ride to Fort Myers went smoothly and now trying to knock off Coast on their home floor for the third time in five seasons. And the interesting thing is that even though they've only been a program since 2002, no non-conference team has ever beaten them three times on their home floor. So we'll see if Georgia can pull that off and pick up that seventh victory of the season after a really fun couple of days in Miami, which we'll get to in a minute.
1: We'll dive deeper into Georgia Southern men's and women's basketball over the last couple of days, as well as the r Carriers New Orleans Bowl in the final segment of this week's edition of Inside Eagle Nation. But as always, Inside Eagle Nation is presented by our good friends at Arcola Septic. Arcola Septic is your premier septic services provider to Bullock, Bryan, and adjoining counties, and a great family-owned business that's run by a pair of Georgia Southern alumni. Make sure to give them a call at 912- 318-7939 or visit them online at ArcolaSeptic.com. For both commercial and residential customers, their more than 10 years of experience can help you out with pumping and servicing your septic system, drain field repairs, new system installation, and all of your septic needs. Remember to follow them on Facebook, ArcolaSeptic, yesterday's Meals on Wheels. Georgia Southern women's basketball started off on Sunday, taking on the Chattanooga Mocs in the Georgia State Holiday Classic. It turned into be a Sunbelt versus SoCon matchup on both sides of the bracket. Georgia Southern facing off against Chattanooga on Sunday and then Western Carolina on Monday. Georgia State did the same thing but flipped. So Chattanooga, the first team in the tournament for Georgia Southern women's basketball as they fell 96-87 to Chattanooga on Sunday. And it was a game that was... Pretty back and forth. It was about a five point game for much of the game, and then Chattanooga outscored Georgia Southern 27 19 in the fourth quarter. And it was just Chattanooga shooting the lights out, shot 55% from the floor, 51% from behind the arc on the game. But Georgia Southern, not too shabby as well, 40% from the floor, 40% from behind the arc. And so, talking with the coaching staff, it was a Game where you were happy with the offensive side putting up 87 points, about 15, 20 points over the average for Georgia Southern coming into the game. But on the flip side, with Coach Howard being a defensive minded coach, not necessarily the most thrilled with giving up 96 to a Chattanooga team.
2: The thing that I'm always concerned with when anybody plays basketball at Georgia State is how they deal with the elevation.
1: Well, we had to deal with it a little bit more because with all the COVID restrictions at Georgia State, we were delegated to the fourth floor. So we're normally bench side in the little cubby they give us. But now we were right underneath their production booth and at the top of the fourth floor. So it was about as high as we are at Paulson Stadium with football. For basketball, it's a little bit different of a view. And the thing that almost came back to bite me was we were right underneath the production booth so much so that when I stood up, when coach Howard came up on post game, I hit my head on the production booth and it almost (laughs) did not end. Well,
2: (laughs) if there's another reason to dislike Georgia state, just throw that onto the growing
1: pile. Yeah, there it is. And I asked Will Owens, their sports information director for women's basketball. I was like, all right, so is this just a tournament thing? Because Georgia Southern and Chattanooga were the only ones that brought radio. Western Carolina and Georgia State didn't have radio covering the game. And so it was just Larry Ward and I up there just living the dream. And neither one of us were necessarily thrilled with it.
2: I can imagine the things that Larry said, not necessarily under his breath, but what he actually said to them because there's not a filter on that man you know that we know him very well from our past dealings with chattanooga women and i actually met him about 10 years ago when i filled in for him when he had his fall outside of the lookouts ballpark and they had come down to charleston they were playing the college of charleston women so we had a chance to talk on the phone so i've known him for a long time but there there's not too much he holds back
1: on no and the last time i had seen larry i've talked to him a couple of times over the years but the last time that georgia southern women's basketball had played chattanooga was in the quarterfinals of the 2014 socon tournament the final game that georgia southern women's basketball played as a member of the socon chattanooga ended up winning that matchup and went on to win the tournament that year but it was weird not to have seen larry since 2014 but hadn't changed a whole lot and yeah there was a There was a couple of not-fit-for-air comments that he had.
2: (laughs) See, that's one of those where you need one of those special pens that has a microphone, like in the Santa Claus 3, where you could have just recorded the whole thing.
1: You laugh, but I think the Santa Claus 2 is going on in the living room my parents' house right now. Of course it is. When Georgia Southern put away the Chattanooga Mocs game and they moved on on Monday, yesterday, if you're listening to this on time, to the Western Carolina Catamounts, a team that came in 1-6 to the matchup with their only win being against Newberry College. And Georgia Southern handled the Catamounts 89-61, the final score. As you look up and down the box score for Georgia Southern, you had Atiana Golden finishing with 19 points. You had 16 points from Deja Holmes, and she is really starting to find her way. The freshman that is possibly going to be fighting for that starting point guard spot by the end of the season, but 16 points, 4 assists, and really is looking more comfortable every game that she plays with this Georgia Southern team, but the Eagles again shot 40% from behind the arc, 9 of 22, shot 41% from the floor, and ended up being... An 89-61 victory over the Western Carolina Catamounts. So Georgia Southern women's basketball moves their record to 4-3. and three. It'll be the final game they have until the new year when Georgia Southern opens up down in Mobile to take on the South Alabama Jaguars on New Year's Day. It's odd to think that we're already in conference play for basketball.
2: Such is the 2020-2021 season, with league play being Friday, Saturday this year. It's still a mirror schedule, so once that begins, you and I will see each other probably when we cut this podcast on Mondays and then for the upcoming editions of Inside Georgia Southern Basketball, which is going to begin in the second week of January. It's, it, it seems very weird that it's going that way and the fact that it is new year's day i've called one basketball game on new year's day and that was at clemson i think back in 2013 that one didn't go very well. That was when I was still at the Citadel. But this is always one that you'll be able to talk about. We were actually coming home from South Alabama on New Year's Eve, which became New Year's Day. I think it was two years ago Georgia Southern had a chance to win at the buzzer. Yeah, basketball is already always going to surround the start of the calendar. But to begin when the year does is always noteworthy.
1: We will dive into the South Alabama matchups for both Georgia Southern men's and women's in next week's edition of Inside Eagle Nation, but it'll be a 2 o'clock tip-off both on Friday, on New Year's Day, on Saturday as well, 2 o'clock the tip-off from the Mitchell Center. But Georgia Southern men's basketball has had themselves quite a week down in florida after the victory over carver inside hanner field house on tuesday 92 27 the final score on tuesday last week turned their attention to florida and it started on saturday at florida international down in miami a double overtime thriller 103 99 you were there saw every minute of it what was the biggest thing you took from that fiu ball game
2: Well, I saw a lot of empty seats because the capacity (laughs) of the Ocean Bank Convocation Center was 15%. And even though FIU's off to a pretty good start, it's just an instance of the season that we're dealing with people not wanting to we'll have to worry about COVID. And even though masks are mandatory, it was, it was just a situation where it's another place that's trying to deal with a reduced capacity and still being able to pull off division one athletics. The chairs were spaced out so far. They actually stressed all the way to the baseline. The cabanas were gone that we saw four years ago. They oh. just Uh, the sunset drapes were behind the basket. So the atmosphere was was still there. The court still looks like a beach which is very interesting and I talked about that a couple of times over the few days. It, it It was a great game. Georgia Southern just like Mercer got up by 16 points early in the second half. The defense was outstanding in the first 20 minutes and I think Florida International was taken aback by just how aggressive Georgia Southern was by taking away FIU's ability to shoot the three. They forced 15 first half turnovers but also just like the Mercer game FIU got hot from three point territory after halftime. They were just three of 10 before they were 14 of 20 in the second half and the two overtime sessions. That's 70%. They took their first lead with about five and a half minutes to play. And then the end of not just regulation, but overtime were intriguing because with all the fouls that were piling up, each team lost three guys. Before Zach Bryant fouled out in the first overtime, he banged up his knee with about two minutes left in regulation, in which point Georgia Southern was trailing. But they had the basketball in the final seconds of regulation down by two. The ball was in Bryant's hands. You knew he was going to make a play whether it was going to be the drive and the kick or what actually happened he makes a crossover left of the lane gets inside and at 6'2, you think okay he might have a chance to lay it in he goes up and dunks over all the tall timbers that FIU had on the floor now granted they were down their top shot blocker is Demon Kerrigan did not play and they were also down one of their Georgia natives Isaiah Banks had a knee injury didn't go for the Panthers But to see Zach Bryant do something that I didn't think he would do, it wasn't that I think he was capable, but to do that in that situation, two-handed dunk to tie the game with 7.4 left. It was 69-69 going into overtime, which is interesting in and of itself. And then the Eagles got down by five in overtime. And at that point, they had lost Elijah McCadden. They had lost Zach Bryant. He fouled out on an offensive foul. Eagles scored six straight points, though, to take the lead. David Beatty came in for his first appearance of the game made one of two free throws with under 10 seconds left as but to fiu's credit they stuck with it antonio day went down he made the game tying layup with 1.9 so he went to play another overtime tied at 85 but the game changed when day fouled out now, he had two fouls early, so he didn't score in the first half, but he started to light it up after that. He ended up with 22 points. He's their top scorer, a really good player. I think he's a shoe in for first-team all-conference USA. Grant Weatherford takes the charge early in that second overtime, and when they lost their top offensive option, the Eagles took control. 11-2 to run, Kamari Brown hit some shots, but it was the ability to make free throws that helped Georgia Southern win the game. You know how much they had struggled this year. And you were there for a couple of the games in the first few weeks. George were 53% team at the line before the trip, but they go 31 of 39 at the line against FIU. Zach Bryan was 10 out of 12 before he was disqualified. Eric Boone though became quite a headline. He was seven of 16 at the line going into the game. He was two for his previous 11 as a point guard. He goes to the line and makes 15 out of 16, including each of his last 10 and he made the two decisive ones with eight-tenths of a second left in the second overtime to help seal the 103-99 win. 50 minutes of basketball, grinding, draining. It felt like a Brian Berg signature kind of victory, and it didn't matter that they had to play Carver the next night. The only thing that those guys were concerned with was winning that game. It took a lot to win it, but the fact that they did win it, you keep seeing that this team is capable of a lot of really good things, and maybe by the time we flood through conference play, we're going to see just how good this team is once they get to full strength.
1: And you and I had talked about it going into the week how – you knew you had three games in four days down in Florida, but you thought that the toughest one of this three-game stretch was going to be FIU to start it off, and to get that victory I think kind of sets the tone for the rest of the week, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, you sure like to think so. I mean, We're going to have to see what happens with Florida Gulf Coast here in just a little bit, but... Knowing that Carver was the next night, you pretty much had a feeling how that was going to go. And Georgia Southern had beaten them by 65 points on Tuesday. And Carver was playing for the sixth time in a week and the eighth time in 11 days. So, (laughs) look, you Uh could love to play basketball all you want to. That is a brutal brutal stretch with a lot of bus trips and a lot of not overnight stays for having to travel up and down the east coast like they've had to do to simply give division one teams an opportunity to fill out their schedules but to do that number one after blowing another large lead you think back to the mercer game blew a 16 point lead lose losing the buzzer that stunk the feeling in that gym, it was exciting up until the final play, and then the air just went out of Hanner when Neftali Alvarez made the layup off the inbound play and Mercer started 6-0. and Great rally by them, great college basketball game, but very deflating. Eagles found themselves in that situation again against FIU, but they showed enough intestinal fortitude to pick their way through not just one overtime, but two overtimes. Three guys fouled out. Two other guys got hurt during the game, and that's why Georgia Southern's rotation was a little bit shorter the next night on Sunday against Carver. But the fact that they did it, it sets a tone because they know that in that situation – they know where that extra gear has to come from. Regardless of who is on the floor, it's still Georgia Southern that needs to win, and it doesn't matter whose name is on the back of whatever jersey is out there.
1: They would move on the next day on Sunday evening to the Carver Bible College Cougars for the second time in just under a week. Got the victory 119-43. to Taking a look through some of the numbers that jump out, 29 points for Cam Bryant. He played 22 minutes of the game, and then 16 points, 10 rebounds for R.J. Arizu. And... It's like you talked about with a shorter rotation for head coach Brian Berg. You've got to have somebody step up into those roles. And it really seemed like those two guys did. Yeah, Caden
2: Archie was out again because of injury. Elijah McCadden didn't play, unfortunate, because Sunday was Elijah's 21st birthday. The team got him a little gift during pregame meal. It was a bottle of sparkling water, which he thought was pretty funny. And then Kamari Brown was also a late scratch after coming out in warm-ups, but he couldn't give it a go with his ailment. Lots of numbers for guys you didn't necessarily expect it, but Cam Bryan has all the talent in the world. He had an all-state season at Dutchtown, won a 5A state title last year, 29 points in the game, nine rebounds. Thank mm-hmm. Very few times has that happened in recent Georgia Southern basketball history because it's been a guard-centered team with guys like Tukey Brown. And you can call Ike Smith a guard if you want to. I always called him before, but technically he was listed as a guard. The The, the numbers are gaudy. He also knocked down three, 3 so he can do it at three levels. Arizu goes 16-10 and 10 for his first double-double. The 10 rebounds, also a career high. Remember, he spent time before at Savannah State and then registered at Eastern Washington two years ago. The name on the box score, though that we weren't expecting to talk about and it's funny that i bring up it doesn't matter what name was on the jersey was our boy from london england getty used a he wasn't supposed to come back until the south alabama series to start conference play January 1st and 2nd. But he's been gradually working back into practice. Very little, though, but apparently healthy enough to at least give it somewhat of a go. We knew he was a three-point specialist. He made 112 of them at Division II Flagler last year to set the school record. He knocks down his first three with georgia southern part of a 24 nothing run in the first half he showed great court vision at a couple of no look passes that resulted in assists he's going to be a problem for defenses because we know the eagles haven't had a great touch from three-point territory yet but he is immediately going to improve that but the funny part was he didn't have his jersey with him because he didn't think he was gonna have to worry about playing (laughs) so with kate and archie out of the lineup getty wore kate and archie's uniform and we had to clarify this with the FIU stats people and the sports information. They were in charge of the input. It wasn't their game, but it was still their multi-team event, so they were in charge of it. And we had to let them know, look, there's a chance that he plays. It's not zero Archie. It is 13, use a pietus, even though he was wearing Archie's uniform. And that, that was that was what we'll always be able to talk about. Interesting. Very interesting.
1: You move on to Florida Gulf Coast coming up later on this evening. A seven o'clock tip off against the Screaming Eagles in Fort Myers. A six thirty air time on the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Daniel will have the call for you on that one. Came across Alligator Alley. I didn't see any Facebook lives as you went through a toll booth this time though.
2: It's funny you bring that up because there were a couple of different options to get us through the interstate highway system down here in Florida. Well, the veteran bus driver we have, Bill Bryan, I was wondering if he was going to stick on the highway or if he was going to go turnpike because it was significantly shorter. So I'm trying to follow him a little bit on my map app. And he actually went turnpike. Oh, I I didn't think that he would because you don't see a whole lot of buses do the turnpike. But with the amount of time we had to spend going from Statesboro to Miami on Friday and then having to have the other leg of the trip getting here to Fort Myers for the final game of the three-game swing Bill decided to go turnpike and fortunately the bus fit through the toll booth
1: he doesn't strike me as a turnpike guy
2: I, I didn't either it shocked me like like Getty wearing Kate and Archie's uniform <laughs> you just you have to be ready for anything of the COVID year
1: again taking on Florida Gulf Coast and this evening a seven o'clock tip-off from Alico Arena when you look at what florida gulf coast has been able to do so far on the season actually matched up with fiu a couple of days ago but this is a team that comes in four and two on the year after getting a 112 39 victory against weber international on friday what's the things that you see from this eagles team
2: it was really nice from a preparation standpoint to watch two of your next three opponents when FIU and Florida Gulf Coast had a chance to play each other, and they tried to do that most years in the non-conference. But for Gulf Coast, they've been struggling the last couple of seasons. They had a changeover in staff when Joe Dooley, who really had them rolling after Andy Enfield left for USC. Those were the dunk city teams that went to the NCAA tournament and went to the Sweet 16 in 2013. Dooley leading Florida Gulf Coast, two Atlantic Sun championships, consistent 20 games seasons we remember them from 2016 and how many dudes they have on the court some of the better players in the entire mid-major ranks but ever since Michael Fly one of his assistants took over when Dooley went back to East Carolina they've had attrition they've had injuries they've had transfers they've had trouble getting it going so to start four and two this year it is their best start in five seasons they finally have some depth they do have some shooters but it's simply being able to keep guys on the court that have experience because a year ago they had to start a guy like Justice Rainwater at center and he was going to be a backup that would play maybe – 10-15 10-15 minutes a game. He ends up starting 30 times last year and averages 5.5 boards per game to lead the team. Now he's not seen nearly as many minutes this year because that was the plan last year. They finally built up some depth. They're benefiting from some transfers. The two guys that have been important for them, their point guard Jalen Warren, the 6'3 senior from Milton, Ontario, preseason All-Atlantic Sun selection, not known for being a great outside shooter, but he can really get to the rim and dominate you off the ball screen. This is another drive and kick team to set up the threes they're taking nearly 30 per game making nine on average not as adept as florida international was but still a team that's very capable, especially on their home floor. And then Caleb Cato is their top shooter, preseason All-A-Sun as well. Top scorer last year, top scorer so far this year, scoring 14.5 points per game and making 42% from three-point territory. If he's on the floor and he catches the basketball, he's trying to shoot it from distance. Not a whole lot of handle. It's very simple with him. And then defensively, they will mix their man and zone. Georgia Southern hasn't seen a whole lot of zone so far through its first eight games. They don't defend the Ball screen very well, and they try to use their athleticism on the glass. So the Eagles have to be very fundamental in terms of their rebounding. Body has to be on body, shield off to not only secure the basketball but to draw fouls.
1: Again, Georgia Southern and Florida Gulf Coast tonight at seven o'clock. It'll be six thirty the airtime on the Georgia Southern Sports Network. As Danny will have the entire coverage for you, all across the network lines. And then it's time to hop on a plane tomorrow morning for you, Danny Reed, and make your way down to New Orleans. We will dive into our travel excursions in our next segment of this week's edition of Inside Eagle Nation. But for now, we pause for some Eagle Tales with Roger Inman.
0: Time now for Eagle Tales with Danny Reed and Roger Inman. Roger, Georgia
2: Southern has gone to three bowls, 2015, 2018, 2019. Share with us some of your memories of the bowl experiences.
0: Uh, Go Daddy Bowl was just a fun time. Willie did good that year. Ended up winning the title here and then uh, ended up in the Go Daddy Bowl. Just lad people stadium. I think at a you know, certain point we almost think that's the second home on a given day. But uh, Go Daddy Bowl, just, to, you know, for the most part, just another football game in the first uh, day of a, a new history for Georgia Southern football, winning a bowl game. And good news, one of the, the first bowl game we're in, we won.
1: Thank you, Roger. For somebody that has seen so much in Georgia Southern's football history, being able to be with him as he's talking about the bowl game and the more recent history of Georgia Southern football is something that's pretty cool.
2: You always wonder when you talk to certain people that have been in the program for so long what perspective they are going to have, whether they're watching it from the press box, whether they're a fan in the stands, whether they're on the sidelines, or if you're Roger, you've seen just about everything that has happened with this place since he got there in the late 70s. And I go back to this, and I know I've told this story a number of times already, but the couple of images I really take from being on the sidelines of the GoDaddy Bowl five years ago, whenever everybody rushed the field that did I turned around and saw all the excitement in the stands at Lad Peoples that night and just how awesome it was to feel that Georgia Southern's first ever bowl victory and then I looked to my right and there was Roger just standing by himself with his arms folded like he does and he was just bawling and I Look, that, that that just tells you how much it means to someone that has literally seen it from the first shovel going in the ground at Paulson Stadium to making the move to the FBS and doing something that. And I'll, I, gave, I went over, I gave him a hug, and I, that is something I will never, ever forget.
1: Somebody that has seen a lot of Georgia Southern athletics as well is going to be a part of this bowl game as well. When the matchup against Louisiana Tech, the voice of the Bulldogs is Dave Nitz, who was, and we've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast over the years, the original voice of the Eagles when he started with basketball in the 60s.
2: Yeah, this is something that really comes full circle. You got to keep in mind, Georgia Southern and Louisiana Tech really don't have much of a reason to play each other. They're not in the same league, even though La Tech was an associate Sunbelt member for basketball before they made the move to the WAC and then Conference USA back in 2013. But yeah, 53 years ago, Dave Nitz was the original voice of Georgia Southern Athletics from 1967 through the end of the 69-70 season. Then he went to William & Mary for a spell, spent a year at Arkansas Tech, ironically, where Doug Roos was last. Last year, before coming back to Statesboro, he has been with Latex for 46 years, ever since 1974. And this is the first time that we'll have a chance to meet with him face to face. And if there's one thing that I want tomorrow morning or afternoon before the kick, I think that got to get a picture with Dave Nitz to show where it or how it started and how it's going. Isn't that one of the social media trending the photos that that's been going on the last (laughs) couple of weeks?
1: Yeah, you're starting with a new trend of how it started and how it's going. There it is.
2: I not <laughs> think I about that. I like I've seen. I don't know.
1: <laughs> but we'll get to catch up with Dave tomorrow on the pregame show, on the Eagle Tailgate Show. We will hit the airwaves at 1 o'clock from the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, also known as Russ's Favorite Place. And then a kickoff for Georgia Southern against Louisiana Tech in the RNL and l Carriers New Orleans Bowl at 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, if you're listening with us on time on Tuesday. A Wednesday kickoff for Georgia Southern and La Tech. When you look at this La Tech team, 5-4 and four on the season – 4-2 and two in Conference USA. We talked about it a little bit on last week's edition of Inside Eagle Nation. They missed the entire month of November because of COVID restrictions and COVID concerns. They had one of those games made up in December but to have a complete month off, over 30 days off without games that's got to take a toll on this team but bounce back to get a victory after that layoff but still a 5-4 and four team but this is a Louisiana Tech team that's a little bit different than people would think.
2: They were affected by a little bit of attrition too, because during that more than a month off, they had three other top guys opt out offensive tackle Donovan Campbell, a one-time LSU tiger opted out Adrian Hardy, wide receiver who just yesterday was named second team all conference USA. And their starting running back Justin Henderson, who was a thousand yard rusher a year ago. He had taken a hit this year with under three and a half yards per carry. and had seeded some of those totes to a three headed back monster led by Israel Tucker now, but, Three of their top guys on offense had opted out, but still enough to average close to 30 points per game. And they lost their starting quarterback, Luke Anthony, in the final moments of their season finale against TCU the weekend before, getting dominated down at Amon Carter Stadium by a 52-10 score. And what hurt was that they were trailing by 35 with two and a half left in the fourth when Luke Anthony, the transfer from Abilene Christian, he suffered a really bad lower leg injury. They knew what it was. They knew that it wasn't good as soon as it happened. He did have surgery the next day. He's actually from Dallas, so that worked out pretty well from that standpoint point they do expect him to make a full recovery so just like georgia southern having to turn to potentially a backup option at quarterback but aaron allen is somebody that's played in 17 games in his career he does have eight touchdown passes in his career can run can throw but it's going to be the eagle defense's job and their goal to frustrate him give him different looks and make him see ghosts so he can make mistakes and georgia southern can continue that turnover trend that they've created these last few
1: games when you look at the defense that georgia Southern's going to be throwing up got an all-american in that group and raymond johnson just coming out late yesterday evening i believe
2: how about that pro football focus Second-team All-American, no pass rusher in the country, graded out higher than Raymond. He was also named... All conference for the fourth time. Georgia Southern hasn't had that for a D lineman since Brent Russell from 2009 through 2012. He's going to enter what could be the final game of his career. Fifth in Eagle history in sacks, eighth in tackles for loss, and he still only needs one more fumble recovery to set the school record. I think about when he first got here, and we were told about this kid from Sumter, South Carolina, who was rangy, who was long, who was six feet three and about 225 pounds. We saw the ability right away, and then he started putting on. Weight, And then he started putting on more weight and then he started putting on even more weight to the point where he's not even recognizable from the guy that got here in 2017. But it has really been a joy to watch him. And remember, he's wearing the number zero this year. He gave up the number 92 to Jordan Mitchell. He becomes the first Eagle to ever wear number zero, which was nice for opposing teams because they couldn't find him on film as easily. He, he, he's something, though. He's going to go down as one of the best to ever do it here at Georgia Southern. And it was nice to see him get that accolade, along with several of his teammates that were named all Sunbelt as well.
1: You had Derek Canteen, also a first-team Sunbelt pick. And you put out a stat that he was the first freshman in a while for Georgia Southern to be named an all-league pick.
2: First freshman all-league since James Young in 2001. First freshman cornerback to be named all-league since Archie Thompson in 98. And the first time in school history that a freshman corner was ever named first-team. So that's a lot of firsts, and for a guy that's second nationally with five interceptions going into his first-ever bowl game, he is somebody that has not only more than lived up to his billing, but he has an unreal future, and you can't wait to see what he's going to do with the rest of his time in Statesboro. He is another one that you knew that he had some ability, but until you got him out there for those reps that aren't practice But to see him with the two-interception game against Troy, he had the scoop and score against Army. He had a streak of back-to-back games with interceptions earlier this year against UMass and then against Coastal Carolina, the first two picks of his career. He has just done so much for that secondary that's been at times depleted by COVID and injuries. A joy to watch him. Absolute joy.
1: Getting back to the Louisiana Tech offense that Georgia Southern will have to go up against at three o'clock tomorrow afternoon. It's an offense that likes to throw first 227 yards through the air on the season, just shy of 100 yards on the ground. But really and truly, when you talk about the running attack for this Louisiana Tech team, Israel Tucker is a big part of it. But like you talked about, a couple of different backs that can tote the ball.
2: Yeah, the redshirt senior from Metairie just outside of New Orleans. Colin, you know about Metairie pretty well from the women's team having stayed there for the Sunbelt basketball tournament a couple of times during your tenure with the Eagle women's program. And Tucker has had to be meaningful with Henderson opting out because of COVID and that 33-day break they had, missing all of November. Even though they're only rushing for 97 yards a game and 2.8 yards a carry, Tucker's good. And in the little bit of time that I've talked with the coordinator Scott Sloan this week, they're impressed by him. He is a hard runner, five they 200 pounds i think he has more speed than people give him credit for he's averaging 4.1 yards per carry now he did have a little bit of issues against tcu but to be grant, to be honest the Louisiana Tech had issues as a team when they lost the game 52 to 10. Did bang up an ankle, so that's why he only had 10 carries for 28 yards. But the carries are going to be mostly to Tucker. Behind him, it's Greg Garner, who's touched the ball 32 times this year. Harlan Dixon from Slidell, Louisiana, would be the number three option. I really think that they've settled in on Tucker. He's made the last four starts ever since Henderson decided to opt out. The ability, though, of La Tech to get its RPO game going is going to be predicated on how much success they have with tucker running the football going against georgia southern's defense which has been outstanding against the run in fact the eagles have been historic against the run their best rushing statistics yards per game the best since 97 the best yards per rush play since 2001 yeah there's one more chance to see those get better maybe get worse if la tech can find its running game but i do like the matchup for the eagles their run fits have been so good this year and for a lot tech unit that has really struggled mostly in that category if the eagles can contain the run then it makes their rpo game a lot less ineffective and they have to go to their screen game but the eagles may know that's coming and be able to stop guys like smoke Harris and CJ Powell going from the slot
1: and you look at what the passing game really looks like for this Louisiana Tech team and it's not necessarily one guy that is above and beyond everybody else you look at Smoke Harris leads the team with four receiving touchdowns on the year but you've got guys like Griffin Abair with three touchdowns on the year Isaiah Graham with three touchdowns on the year Wayne Toussaint with two touchdowns Kyle Maxwell with two touchdowns through the year and so you've got a lot of different options that can really touch the ball on the passing game for Louisiana Tech
2: just like Georgia Southern has in the running game, LaTeX lot tech does have with their receivers. They force you to cover everybody that's on the field. There aren't just placeholders out there that are running off routes and trying to open things up for everybody else. Smoke Harris is the guy that they'll try to get involved with a lot of screens, a lot of checkdowns behind the line of scrimmage. They'll also get him involved in fly sweeps. He had two touchdowns against North Texas off of fly sweeps. That was their first game back after missing the 33 days because of COVID and losing all those games and the rescheduling and all the craziness that they've dealt with in 2020. I do like C.J. Powell. They're both undersized at 5'6 and 5'7, but I wouldn't blink because you may not have a chance to tackle them. Tucson is somebody that will be involved in the return game as well 25 yards a kick return this year he'll go into this matchup fourth in the country in total return yards and keep in mind with the issues that georgia southern has had with their kickoff team the last few weeks giving up the touchdowns to texas state and to app state which helped give the mountaineers the lead in the fourth quarter that's going to be a big focus for the eagles going into the game whether it's rainer or lewis kicking off you're going to be indoors but ball placement and staying in lanes is of the utmost importance. I like Griffin Bear. He is one that has been there for a while. Lafayette native St. Thomas More High School. He had two touchdowns in the first game of the season against Southern Miss, and that's a game they had to come back from 17 down to win. Bear's second touchdown was on fourth and goal with 14 seconds left. He somehow got a foot down in the back of the end zone. They called it incomplete initially. They had to review it. They overturned it, the extra point from the freshman Jacob Barnes made for a 31 30 win in Hattiesburg they also came back from 14 down to beat UAB in double overtime that's a UAB team that just won Conference USA beating what was a favored Marshall team they've got guys that can hurt you know where Harris is know where Powell is know where A-Bear is but really know their scheme know when guys are on the field where they like to go and be able to pressure Aaron Allen Don't let him get settled. Make him be a runner. Make him throw on the run. Because I think that for somebody that's going to be starting a bowl game for the first time, even though La Tech has won six consecutive bowl games, and that is the longest active streak in the FBS, for somebody that's getting a chance to play a quarterback for the first time, make him feel like it's his first time in a bowl game, even though it's in their home
1: state. You flip it over to the defensive side for the Bulldogs. You really look at one guy from each level on a 4-3 scheme under first-year defensive coordinator David Blackwell. And it's one of the few 4-3 schemes that Georgia Southern will see this year. But on the D-line, Milton Williams is a guy, 10 tackles for loss, four and a half sacks on the year. In the linebacking core, the guy that really stands out is Tyler Grubbs in that middle linebacker spot with eight and a half tackles for loss on the year. And then in the secondary, B.J. Williamson, who has his first name spelled out phonetically to help us, <laughs> with three <laughs> interceptions on the season are the three guys that you really got to key in if you're Georgia Southern.
2: Yeah, I talked with Coach Lunsford a little bit on Monday afternoon here in Fort Myers, and he said the exact same thing. He said the number one thing about their defense, gotta block 97, that's Milton Williams, their defensive tackle. He is a really good player. He was named the first team all-conference USA just a couple of days ago. Someone that's not necessarily a big boy or a a big kid, as Terry would say, at 6'4", 278 pounds, but as you mentioned, with four and a half sacks and ten tackles for loss, three of those came earlier this year in that game against UAB that we just mentioned. I'll skip on Grubbs because he has a really neat story. B.J. Williamson had two picks earlier this year in that UAB game. One, he nearly ran back for a touchdown, and the other, he lateraled to his teammates, Khalil Ladler, the Vatek grad transfer, he took it 80 yards for a touchdown. And the reason why I bring it up is because, yeah, it's pretty noteworthy, but La Tech is leading the country in tick sixes since 2017. Now, how much will Georgia Southern throw the ball tomorrow? Who knows? But if LaTeX happens to change the game from that standpoint, then you'll be able to go back and say, well, this is part of what makes their defense tick. Tyler Grubbs, though, true freshman out of New Orleans, Holy Cross high. He was fourth on their depth chart at middle linebacker in preseason camp. But because of injuries, because of COVID and contact tracing, he got the start in that season opener against Southern Miss. He made 16 tackles in his college debut. He's been so good, they can't take him out of the lineup. He has started all nine games, second team, all league pick. He leads them in tackles. He is 20th nationally with 87 stops this year. Somebody that has forced himself to be on the field. He wasn't recognized very much during camp, but he had to get the opportunity to play. And he's been so good. He has impressed David Blackwell and Skip Holtz that he is the linchpin of that defense without a doubt.
1: We've talked about it with Coach Lunsford. Really, the last week, ever since Georgia Southern found out that they were going to the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl and taking on Louisiana Tech, that this wasn't going to be a normal bowl game by any stretch of the imagination. Georgia Southern going down today to New Orleans, getting in, and it almost is a glorified another away game in the sense that you're coming in day before playing the game and then getting out of dodge but whenever you look at it coach Lunsford and the staff have tried to do a couple of things this week I think he talked about it on the media availability late last week that they've brought donuts to practice a time or two they brought hot chocolate to practice a time or two so it's a little bit different of a bowl experience but talking with coach lunsford on monday he said that this is still an opportunity to become a bowl champion and especially playing in your 13th game
2: well you know how i am with my hot chocolate
1: so i wish i would have had a chance yeah you're all on the hot chocolate chain either that or hot tea
2: Oh, trust me, with three games in four days in Florida and then a bowl game tomorrow, <laughs> I'll need that. Uh, i need that Earl Grey quite a bit over these next few hours. But think back to last year. How bad did it feel to lose to Liberty to end the season? Yes. It, exactly. All the teams that have opted out of bowls this year, I think we're up to 30 teams, 15 bowl games have been scrapped because there just aren't enough teams to play. If Georgia Southern didn't accept this bid and pass COVID protocol, which they've done again, if they didn't have a chance to play this game, the last taste that Eagle Nation would have is a loss to App State, with not being at full strength, which for a lot of people stings even more than laying an egg against Liberty last year, because App State is the arch rival. That is the team that you want to beat more than anyone else every single year. But the ability of the Eagles to stay healthy and responsible, to be excited about playing this game, LaTeX the same, and the ability to go to New Orleans, to do it one more time, to play a 13th game when nobody else has played more than 12. Texas State is the only other one that's played 12 in 2020. This provides a chance for a happy memory, a bowl championship, and momentum after what has been the most unique, exhausting grueling season that any of us probably will ever see. Now we thought we were going to say that about last year with the passing of Jordan Wiggins, with the attrition on the offensive line, losing close games, being close, but not quite after 10 wins the year before this year is trumped that. And then a hundred times over with the will they or won't they every week before getting a chance to have this stretch of nine straight weeks for the game to end the regular season. And now the bowl game. You want a smile on your face when you leave New Orleans. Now, if you can smile, I know a lot of people really enjoy New Orleans, but they don't really know where they are after (laughs) doing what they do on Bourbon Street. But Hey, it's a chance for us to hang out one more time. It's a chance to watch the Eagles play one more time, but it's a chance to watch the Eagles win one more time. And that's their best tradition of all
1: talk about happy memories before we wrap this one up a happy memory for a former georgia southern eagle as yesterday evening coming out that young way Koo had been named to the pro bowl for the first time in his nfl career on the year he has 35 of 36 field goals and is a perfect eight for eight from 50 plus
2: the guy that was a charger got cut had a chance with the patriots didn't work out so he goes to the falcons first onto the scene last year becomes the best onside kicker in football history and now he is 35 of 36 on the season and he's going to the pro bowl you never know when it's going to click for someone that's why if you stick with it you really have a chance to do whatever you want to i don't care if it's about football or anything else in life you stick with it and you can make all of your dreams come true and i know for young way This is absolutely a dream come true for him.
1: Congratulations outs out to Youngway being around him the last couple of years of his Georgia Southern career and being able to see not only how much he put into it, but really dedicated to what he did, trying to get better each and every day. And as Coach Rodney Hennett says, get 1% better every day. But (laughs) Congratulations out to him. Now, before we wrap this one up, we've got to go through the travel arrangements that will be taking place here in the next couple of hours, it seems like. So you will be in Fort Myers tonight on Tuesday night calling Georgia Southern Florida Gulf Coast. Eagles versus Eagles. Yes. You will be getting up at some unthinkable hour that should not come twice a day.
2: We won't say an actual number because I don't want to feel poorly now. I just want to feel poorly tomorrow morning when that alarm goes off.
1: Perfect. So you will be getting on a plane from Fort Myers, have a layover in Atlanta, and then making your way down to New Orleans. Aaron Soka and I will be in the car in just a few minutes heading down today. If you're listening to this on time on Tuesday, get everything set up, and then hopefully we will see you tomorrow early afternoon, if not even late morning.
2: The odds are I'll probably be walking into the booth right about the time that Frank says, good afternoon, Georgia Southern fans. It's a scintillating. Oh, it's it's a Wednesday here at the Big Easy. (laughs) New Orleans, we've got a bowl game or something like that. I don't know. (laughs) That, 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 That might be close. I don't know.
1: That's beautiful. It's not quite the level of Joe Cashin, but it's close.
2: By the way, another congratulations to you.
1: Yes. Thank you. Good for you. I appreciate it.
2: Share, share, in case people are living under rocks.
1: (laughs) Yep, got engaged this past week on Wednesday, I believe. Yeah, I think it was Wednesday.
2: You better remember the day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) It was the 16th. I remember that. Of course it was. Yeah, right. I didn't do that on purpose this time, though.
2: Whatever it is with you in the number 16, well, it's like me in the number 45, which is why I've always got a fondness for Rashad Bird.
1: Yeah, but yours doesn't work out to a date that you can remember.
2: No, there's no such thing as August the 45th.
1: (laughs) It felt like there was a couple of times this year.
2: Oh, jeez.
1: Oh, Campbell. Campbell was this year. Do you realize that? Campbell was actually this year. No, it wasn't. It was about five years ago. It's hard to believe that ULM and Louisiana
2: were this year, this being the third trip here to the boot state. But La La and ULM both happened earlier this year.
1: You know, at some point, it's hard to believe that FAU was this year. Okay. <laughs> but the next chapter in the book for Georgia Southern football is the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs and the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl. Three o'clock to kickoff for Georgia Southern against the Bulldogs of La Tech on Wednesday if you're listening to this on time tomorrow 3 o'clock the kick 1 o'clock the air time on the Georgia Southern Sports Network it's Frank Terry Russ and myself we'll have the Eagle tailgate show and then Danny Terry and Russ will bring you through the play by play again with a 3 o'clock kickoff safe travels and again hopefully to see you tomorrow morning hold it down but not too much we do have a broadcast tomorrow no doubt for the voice (laughs) of the Eagles Danny Reed this is Colin Lacey saying
0: so long everybody been listening to Inside Eagle Nation, powered by Learfield, the official podcast of Georgia Southern Athletics.